Hello and welcome to a special edition of the eTalking podcast. I'm Stuart Garlick and you're about to hear an extract from a road trip that I took in a Nissan Leaf across Estonia with motoring journalist and motorsport journalist Hazel Southwell. We went from Tallinn to Hiumar to test the Nissan Leaf's range and to see what else the car could do. And I hope you enjoy the upcoming podcast. some Mexicans at Estonia. I've met a couple of them, so uh, probably they... Oh, blimey. So the the Nissan Leaf has just decided when to go full beam. This That was quite exciting. That was genuinely quite exciting. And then it spotted another car coming and was like, no, thank you. That or is you? tremendous intelligence. Uh, that's greater intelligence than I show behind the wheel when to go full beam and when not. I mean, like honestly, if cars can start dipping their lights when the light is shining at them, then, uh, well, it's going to make driving down country lanes a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so, um, the Nissan Leaf uh, Mark II, uh, this is this is the latest model, the E+. It's got 4,000 miles on the clock, um, and uh, you can't go full beam when you're chasing a car. Um, and um, it's supposed to be the most intelligent version they do. Uh, it's It's got active parking assist, it's got... Um, active vibrating thing when you go out of a lane. Um, Tell you what, someone's gone round this corner proper hooning it. There's some <laughs> real tyre marks on the road. I have a feeling Steph Schrader might have Estonian relatives. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, um, by the way, she's she's coming on the podcast soon. So oh, that's cool. That'll be Steph's good. great. Yeah. Um, so um, and actually, you're you're welcome to come on if you if if you would like to. It depends how much time you've got. But uh, no, I am I am actually available for podcasts so long as okay. I have to edit them. Unfortunately, my ability to edit podcasts is turning into the same time sink that everything else I do. So no. Estonians just like leave rubber all over the road. There was like a filling station there, and there was like a full curve across two tracks of the road where someone had just like burnt it out of there and seemingly on the wrong side very troubling I, ha- um, I have a feeling that it was with a 1989 BMW M3 as well because there's there's a lot of those around here and um, do you oh, get many larders? larders no but uh, for, for some reason that BMW with this sort of um, concave kidney as it was then mm. um, is uh, considered a bit, bit of a collector's item. Um, I, I think I think every Estonian 18-year-old grows up knowing the difference between an E45 and an E63, that kind of thing. No, no big grills though. No, no. Um, what is BMW doing with its grills, by the way? Uh, just making them bigger. Hmm. Um, eventually, uh, no one will notice that there's a BMW attached to it. <laughs> The, the BMW M8 safety car for the MotoGP would actually swallow a motorbike, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, they haven't tested it, but but Mark Marquez better not chance his luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so... So we're driving through Estonia at night because we, I arrived very late. <laughs> uh, because I missed my ferry. Uh, because I booked my flight a day before I had to come to Estonia. Um, because I have my life perfectly in order. Um, uh, and then Helsinki Airport turned out to have only one window available for anyone from the EU, which it turns out there's loads of people from the EU 
uh, such as anyone finish um, trying to get into Helsinki um, and uh, therefore the two and a half hours that I had allotted to get from Helsinki Airport to Helsinki Ferry uh, were run down by in the end three minutes which was really just like a sour margin to miss uh, the um, boarding deadline by um, uh, and so had to get a uh, ferry three hours later um, and uh, so we're doing this drive at night but we're driving from Tallinn to we're driving from Tallinn to a place called Kastani which is just outside Hapsalu um, Hapsa- well, as you all know yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, so um, Hapsalu is uh, a a northwest coast uh, sort of uh, coastal retreat uh, for normal Estonians. So, like um, young young kids and people who want to get drunk and Finns go to Palnu, um, and um, people who just want a quiet life go to Hapsalu generally. So it's like Hastings as opposed to Bournemouth. Yeah, it's like it's like Hastings with uh, ginormous spas. Are you a fan of ginormous spas? Well, I don't know. I've, I've, I've been to one ginormous spa, that big one in Budapest. Um, uh, but, but, I mean, it, it, it sounds overall healthy. Hmm. It, it sounds overall healthy, a bit like a Greg's vegan sausage roll. Talking of which, um, did you manage to take that through customs? Uh, I actually brought uh, Waitrose vegan sausage rolls through customs. Well, somebody's moved up in the world, haven't they? Yeah, no, uh, ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I got them to Helsinki. Uh, I ate one. I actually might still have one. I'm not ruling out eating it on the drive. Hmm. Um, but they fit in my handbag, so... Um, like like any semi-automatic weapon, it's fine to take through. <laughs> no. this, this is the story of the... Uh, um, of, the story of consumables, isn't it? Over the last twenty years, we've had uh, you know Grazia magazine going smaller, and we've had sausage rolls going smaller, um, all presumably to fit in a bag about around your size. Yeah, I mean, just basically, if if I can eat, if if I can get two in my hand at once, then I consume more of them, and that's better for ultimately the seller. And it's better for the environment because fewer, um, well, because you're carrying them manually rather than using fossil fuels to move them around. Yes. Hmm. Um. So, um, few more facts about the leaf. Uh, it's it's got a regen pedal. Uh, they, they 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 call Which it. Which you really like. They, they call it e pedal. Yeah. So. It completely eliminates the need to use the brake pedal at all uh, in most situations. Obviously, if you have an emergency, you'll need to brake, but um, for lifting and coasting, it's perfect because um, it provides a brake for you. And while it's doing that, um, I believe it tops up the battery on regen as well. Um, provided the battery is not over temp, which it shouldn't be, um, then yeah, it would. So if the battery is under stress, then of course the management system will be like, fuck no. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in theory, it should be doing that. Um, and I think in theory, also, um, it would be like managing various like torque balancing bits of the car. Mm. 
Um, I, I might be wrong, but I think the e-panel is that intelligent. Because, um, of course, torque balancing, you can't have it in race cars, uh, but you certainly can in road cars. So, and I think there's a little bit of that that the e-panel does. I might be wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, the e-pedal is basically a non-existent pedal. It's like a phantom pedal, um, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, I have driven a Leaf. I didn't notice an extra pedal, uh, but I'm obviously not driving it now. No, um, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a phantom pedal, yeah. Um, and all it is is, is it kicks in a system that, that basically manages the reduction of speed through methods other than manual braking. And, um, uh, yeah, uh, props to Alan Robson, Scottish EV owner, um, who is a friend of the podcast, and um, he he mentioned the e-pedal first of all. So Someone dehooning it up this Estonian road. In a Skoda Octavia, no less. Um, oh, you go off, Scandinavian. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, pr- pr- probably... Um, I should try and answer one of the questions that we got because um, uh, oh, we, yeah, we, we did get a did couple. ask how are you adapting to the e-pedal? I was going to say that like a single pedal. Right. So um, I'm. Is it on the footboard? Um, my well, I, I don't left foot brake anyway. Uh, not being Finnish, uh, but um, no, my, my left foot isn't bored, um, but. Equally, you do drive it in a different way. The, the, the Nissan guy, Margus, is absolutely right. So, um, you do kind of... Well, I mean, because it prioritises lifting and coasting, it means that you do end up slowing down for stuff a little earlier than you would if you were using a brake. And um, I, I think probably you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but isn't one of the number one reasons for excessive battery drain in an EV excessive brake usage anyway? Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, like, fundamentally, uh, the more you brake, the more you have to accelerate. So, it, uh, like, if you brake heavily, if you reduce speed suddenly, um, then you're going to have to use a lot more power to recover that. You're going to lose a huge amount of momentum. You're going to, like, you're going to put all kinds of stresses on the car. Um, I, obviously, you know, like if you look at it on a Formula E car it's very different but um, it's why they start acting very differently when the, the cars get like super under stress um, which used to happen quite a lot and these roads are absolutely streaked with rubber I don't know if it's just that we're out at night and there's some kind of like extra streaky Estonian tarmac no 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 it's, it's because there is a certain um, a certain creed of driver that will try and hoon it down here on a Friday afternoon as soon as they finish at work to get here and have a party all weekend. Oh, fair, uh, fair play. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, no, that's dreadful. And the FIA say we mustn't do that. Um, and in fact, there's FIA road safety posts everywhere here. So, uh, yeah, Fernando... And Nico Rosberg says no fun. Yeah, um, and, and well, Nico Rosberg um, has far too much fun anyway, doesn't he? Um, F- Fernando Alonso says, um, I'm not smiling, look at my beard. Goodness. Mm. Um, yeah, um, is this blog going to be more entertaining than Nico Rosberg's paddock blogs, do you think? Um, well, I think it's certainly going to be darker. 
Kind of appropriate because Christopher Nolan has actually come to Estonia recently. So, oh, has um, he? Yeah. Well, in that in that case, we're just—I mean, we're just—it's just directorial decree. I mean, we can't we we can't do anything about this. On the final day, we stopped at a harbour on the coast of Hiumaa, and we had a chat about what we'd learnt about the car and about other matters, Formula E. Um, Hazel, we've been on a bit of a bizarre road trip the last couple of days. Um, maybe you're the best person to describe it for the audience. Uh, well, basically what happened is uh, I came to Estonia where Stuart lives and has lived for the best part of a decade. Um, I've never been here before. Uh, we picked up a Nissan Leaf. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty top of the range one um, that we've been kindly loaned. Uh, and uh, then we took it uh, across Estonia, basically, from Tallinn to one of the islands called Humar, uh, which is a uh, an island about an hour and a quarter off the coast of um, Estonia. So you might not expect it to have the most amazing charging infrastructure uh, or for EVs to be a kind of commonplace thing here. Um, and we've been kind of taking it around the island. Uh, it, at the moment, it's visiting a sort of abandoned warehouse slash possibly it's an old military facility uh, where we're sitting on a a, uh, a dock, I guess, um, next to some very beautiful salt marshes uh, and some uh, a big herd of hairy cows. So yeah, uh, that's that's very much what we've been up to. Yeah, the hairy sea cows very much add to the atmosphere, and I feel that they could be good guests if they come across here. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, this is uh, th- this this is this is a port. I believe fishing boats come out from here. Uh, there's also a coast guard uh, kiosk down there, which looks like it's made from some kind of eco building. But the, re- the reason we did this, well, uh, apart from because the Formula E pre-season feels like a very long time, um, is because. <laughs> well, it it feels like it for me, but then you've probably got more to do than I have. Um, but it's uh, because um, I wanted to do something different. Uh, I wanted to uh, try out an EV and um, show people as well that uh, there's there's no need to worry about EV range, uh, particularly with a modern vehicle like this uh, in a country that's uh, got charging cracked like Estonia. But uh, we've seen a few charges, haven't we? Uh, we have. We've used one once uh, since Friday. Uh, today is Sunday. Um, was it Friday? Yes, it was Friday. Yeah. God, my perception of time is so short. Um, uh, yeah, um, there, there, but there have been a lot around. I mean, basically, even on Humar, Humar, I can't say this island. Humar, you got it right. Um, uh, it turns out I, I'm I'm fairly. Uh, polylingual um but cannot for the life of me pronounce anything in estonian uh, it's, it's like my entire mind fritzes when it's confronted by too many vowels and and like that's it um uh but yeah like they've they've certainly been a few around we're also not the only electric vehicle that we've seen on the roads by any means um as well as some old banged up larders like we are in the former soviet union um historically the infrastructure for things like electric vehicles has not been amazing in most of the fringes of of sort of csr 
Um, but, uh, oh, sorry, CIS. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Estonia is clearly very well equipped, and even if it wasn't, to be honest, um, there's very few... If we had had to charge overnight by just plugging into a conventional plug, instead of using a fast charger that did it in like 45 minutes then i don't i don't think that actually would have been any kind of issue mm. yeah the leaf came with uh, two additional plugs it came with a type 2 charger that you can use in the extra slot that is in most of the abb chargers around here and also with a house plug um that will charge from any socket in any home uh i think that's probably standard with electric vehicles but it's it's worth mentioning because one of the things people do worry about a lot before they buy an electric vehicle isn't it is um how do i charge it in an emergency which i don't know i i think so range anxiety is something that's really hyped about electric vehicles and i kind of get it because initially trying to build up a a reasonable range was a big barrier to early electric vehicles um <coughs> Range anxiety also dates back to, um, so a lot of the misconceptions about electric vehicles that persist today um, are based on the way that they were marketed in at the turn of the century, at the end of the 1800s and start of the 1900s, um, especially in America, where, where they were marketed as, as being very reliable, very safe, um, but with a limited range, and that they were therefore perfect for your wife. You didn't want going off and uh, doing dangerous things in... Uh, uh, cars that needed a starter motor or whatever um, so both the way that they're associated as effeminate um, and uh, the perception that they have a limited range hmm. is is really based on that because people go like oh well what what am I going to do if I need to charge for 45 minutes well, you never you so rarely will so you'd have to go from uh, if you left for a trip and you went from the whole range of the car most electric vehicles now have like a good 200 miles or mm. so um you probably should stop driving after 200 miles for 45 minutes the maximum range of this i think is 315 kilometers so you can you can literally get through the whole of estonia without charging if you're driving in eco mode with the regen pedal on should explain the regen pedal uh it is something where if you let go of the accelerator it acts as a phantom brake and while it's braking uh it's it regens uh so it will get you a bit of extra battery life um it's called the e-pedal in the uh, nissan leaf e plus and uh it's really cool um the thing is that when you have the e-pedal switched on it does compromise the acceleration of the car uh i i think there's something in the computer that is actually regulating how quickly you accelerate so as to waste the minimum amount of battery which is very cool. Would you say this car is a bit over-computerised in the way that it uh, nannies you around? Um, I mean, I, I would say it's got a bit of anxiety. Like, it, it does worry about what you're doing with it. And, like, it tells you a lot of stuff like, oh, you're on an, uh, an unsurfaced road, which, because we're on an island with a lot of national parks and things, yeah, a lot of the time we're on an unsurfaced road. Um, uh, it's definitely... It's got all kinds of things like uh, slightly freaky cameras that help you park um, <laughs> and display on a little iPad. Um, it tells you if you're getting too close to a white line on the road. It tells you all kinds of things. Um, I think you can disable most of it. 
Um, some people might find some of the stuff really useful. I suspect nearly everyone would find the parking thing really quite nifty. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does. I don't know, I, I found yesterday that I'd started talking to it and being like, no, you don't need to worry, Leaf, you don't need to worry, like, um, it's just me getting in the car, like, we will put our seatbelts on, because it, it does, it, it does have a slight tendency to be like 30 seconds off uh, an anxiety attack, because you've got in the car, but you haven't quite closed the boot yet, because another person's getting in the car, but you haven't put your seatbelt on yet, because another person's getting in the car, um, and like, also, there's something slightly in front of it which happens to be the charging point um did you ever think that the machine learning was done by somebody's mother uh, see i i because i think you're finding it quite nagging i think i'm finding it quite nagging nagging but that's because i'm used to working in my in my normal life in a place where to be honest there isn't over management but uh, probably you've worked in places where there is over management and you don't mind it so much um i i think for me it doesn't it, it it's it's more so like they are things that i would disable um if i owned the leaf yeah for sure um but it does it does it bother me that there are people on the road with them no like it, probably it's a good thing I, on balance, I, I on balance I like the safety features because things like when it buzzes to show you're slipping out of lane, that could be a potential safety feature that could save lives. And uh, as the Nissan guy was explaining to me, uh, if you want to crash the car, you can, but you have to be trying really hard. So it's it's actually nice that, for example, if it looks like you're heading for certain impact, it will engage an emergency brake and stop the car regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, and, and like it, it does, um, I I mean, cars are smart. All, all cars have like quite a lot of um, computing, a lot of safety features, a lot of stuff going on in them. Um, does it, it, does the leaf feel a bit curiously sentient? Yes, mm-hmm. um, but I liked Herbie, so. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and this is, uh, this is what we're getting to in the future, isn't it? So uh, we, we expect all of our machines to talk to us like humans now. Yeah, I mean, I I do think there's weird elements to it. Like, um, like it's a little bit odd that it, it that it does talk to you quite so much. But but again, I think it's it's just something that you get used to. Um, once, like it w- it would become normal uh, to you once you'd been driving it for a week or so. To the point that I suspect you'd really miss it as soon as you uh, switch into a car that didn't have those kind of features. Um, if if you had it as a regular drive, I, I'm absolutely going to miss this car. Uh, I really feel that we've become friends over the last couple of days, and that's deeply sad. But you know, I've 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 become friends with online characters that I played video games with. I think it's the same thing in some senses. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely got a lot of personality. It is quite, and part of it is that it keeps sort of like chirping at us and 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 saying like, oh, too close to things. Um, you haven't got your seatbelt on, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, you're worrying me in some fashion. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it. I I don't necessarily. It doesn't feel like a negative personality. Like you're not fighting the car. No, no. And. Um... 
I, th I think on a deserted island such as this, well, it's not deserted, but... A deserted a, dock in an, uh, on an island. Extremely underpopulated. Uh, it's, it's good to have those reminders that you're doing okay. And uh, that, you know, um, you've come to a place and, you know, you, you're, you're here with a machine that's going to help you. It's good. Um, how how much of this is going to seem completely out of date in about 20 years uh, when when machine learning has passed the Turing test and all that kind of stuff are we just going to have cars that literally have personalities like Kit from Knight Rider uh, I mean I think you might well find you do um, I think you know when when I mean the thing is we are a long way off so, so the Leaf has a sort of spooky mode um, where it can park for you um, and it uses the computer vision to identify white lines and it's able to park uh, and proximity sensors and like whatever else it's using but um, and it does it very cautiously it does like a 98 point turn where you could probably do it in one it does it very neatly um, and exactly to your specifications like it, it, it can't independently pick the best parking spot and do it um, and that's kind of it also has a little sort of version of the tesla autopilot so it can follow along a car hmm. um but and by the, by the way on a highway it will uh, it will self move the steering wheel uh you need to keep your hands on the steering wheel for legal reasons but it will drive the car for you yeah which uh, i mean so that sort of people describe that as self-driving um but it isn't it's it, like autopilot is very different from a self-flying plane like planes have autopilot um but but you know the autopilot does not take off and land <laughs> um uh and similarly like cars cars are so far off driving themselves that i think even trying to speculate what they will be like how we can legislate around the mandatory skills of an ai to be a driver for instance how does an ai pass a driving test all of that is it is so far into the future that it's really we the the technology is in barely its infancy um and i think people if you if you want to see more about it um robo race the ai racing series are doing really really good video work at the moment and if you go on their youtube there's a, a video that they did um uh of their first race and it's about how they got to the first autonomous overtake because um, cars can't overtake they they don't know why they should do it or like an ai can be like well you are perfectly safe hmm. following this other car i will not crash so essentially they've used yarno trulli to inform the ai <laughs> somewhat um robo race had a demonstration in berlin didn't they um and they start proper next season with the racing uh season alpha is underway uh so, so season alpha is the prototype series uh, or season for robo race and it is underway they've had two events now hmm. um it's obviously it is not as you know it um it's not racing in the way that you would uh, think of Formula E or Formula One or whatever yet. Um, but it, there is something, the development that's going on in Season Alpha is very, very interesting. 
um, there was uh, the second event they did. So they did a, a basic race with two cars, um, and then they did um, or two of the Debbot uh, Deb 2.0, and then uh, they um, did a uh, another event which was like an um, sort of an agility event, mm. I guess. Uh, where the cars had to try and um, dodge obstacles for to complete a lap in the shortest time, um, and uh, do you think that bloke's heading towards us? Um, I think he might be coming out for a walk, uh, but um, we'll, um, we'll we'll see if he interrupts us. Anyway, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so so they then did um, a lap with these obstacles as fast as as the various AIs could manage it. Um, and the, uh, I think both the uh, winner of the race and the winner of the uh, timed uh, obstacle course um, was won by cars that had crashed in practice um, because that's who's pushing the limits the hardest. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the tech is, is very, very, very new. What can, what can the tech in Robo Race? do to help drivers to learn to be better race drivers for example and to and to help human teams to learn to be better better teams uh so it can't it can't at the moment it can't teach race drivers anything right um what it can do and uh lucas or, or to be honest anyone will tell you is it, it it can tell normal people to be it can help normal people to be better drivers uh it can help anticipate um certain scenarios it can help the cars like crash control for instance like you can develop a much much better risk assessment system because racing is about assessing risks and then deciding which ones to take so you could give the car a much more developed ability to sense risks um in a road car at the moment like uh well aside from the fact that basically all of the technology in robo race is what would be called driver aids mm -hmm. in racing so it's n it's neither going to blend with nor replace human racing um but it it does offer a lot of opportunity to explore those options in a way things like torque vectoring which you can't put in human controlled race cars because yeah it is a driver aid Mm -hmm. um, but if you're making the driver actually do the calculations because the driver is an AI, then it becomes a bit more complicated. Um, and torque vectoring is something that is absolutely great for road cars. You know, it will it will improve efficiency and it will will improve um, grip and all kinds of things for driving. Um, and yeah, there's all kinds of technologies that can come from there. Even though the cars look totally alien and they look like things that couldn't have humans in and because they can't um well the dev bots can but but the, the actual robo car won't um and yeah the uh there's it's not that there's more transferable from robo race than there is from human racing um but there is plenty there good um in in, in terms of uh this this road test and in terms of you know going around an island in an ev um mm. it's 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 not an ev that's particularly challenging to drive it's probably well it, it's the best selling it's one of the best mid-price uh evs but so 
we, we weren't really testing the limits of the car by doing this. Uh, I, I would say we've learned a fair bit in terms of uh, how you plan your life around having an EV, just because if you, for example, stop the car to charge, you have to work out exactly how long um, you're going to be away uh, if you do something. Uh, this is fine at the Tesla fast chargers in Norway, for example, because they usually have a Starbucks or whatever next to them and you can spend time on your phone in there. But um, around here, you've usually got um, a small village or a town next to it. And um, if you want to go for a walk, then the, the charger shuts itself off after an hour and uh, your car's still there. So it's, it's not a problem. Um, if someone else wants to use the charger, they can just uh, pull the charger out and put it in their own car after an hour. But uh, yeah, how long you've got to be away and sometimes you will have to plan extra time into your journey if your battery is low. But honestly, should this be a problem? We usually top up with petrol before we go on a long journey anyway, don't we? Well, also, I mean, like, so I, I honestly think um, the range anxiety that's applied to electric vehicles is partly based on the idea that you have to go and charge them, that you would leave the house with it half empty. Hmm. No, you would usually have charged it overnight to 100. Um, we haven't been doing that. We haven't been charging it overnight. Um, and yeah I think the range anxiety is caused by the fact you have a lot more anxiety about the range you cannot if you're if you get home and you've only just got a tiny bit of petrol left to make it home you can't get more from home hmm. yes yes uh, so there, there, is, there is that um, insofar as uh, Hiyuma this is an island that I've been to the south end of for a jazz festival uh, it's very pretty but uh, it's also very quiet uh, when it's the end of the high season as it, as it is now. Um, no, that's not true. We went to a smoked fish and beer festival yesterday. Oh, blooming heck, yeah. That, that, sorry, that, that was not quiet uh, and um, the Tannoy announcer made sure of that. But So we'll get, we'll get to the fish and beer festival in a minute. <laughs> that, that, that's actually a really good thing to talk about. But um, wh what, have, what have you taken from this trip to somewhere completely different? Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I'd, I'd never been to Estonia before. I'd certainly never been uh, to um, uh, Huima, Huima, oh, Huima. God, uh, before. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's very clear that, I mean, honestly, there's better electric vehicle charging infrastructure than there is like restaurant infrastructure here. <laughs> uh, uh, like we were trying to get some food last night and ended up having to go to the co-op because um, there was just nowhere within walking range that was open. Um, I mean, at least there was a, a shop, but yeah, the, there isn't. It's very clear that the Estonians, uh, especially when they're coming out to the island, are sort of like quite private. They all go home by like seven, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, the, for, for somewhere that is essentially, you know, tourism based, it's quite vacation based. Um, Estonians have summer houses out, out here. Um, it's very, very beautiful. And there's lots of people who are obviously here to um, go out on the sea and in boats. There was a, where, where were we? Salo? Saro? Um, you mean the place we went to? Oh, you mean, uh, yes, uh, that was uh, Suru. Yes, um, uh, which is a little village on the edge of uh, the island. 
uh, where they were having a regatta case, again a in, really loud tannoy system in case anyone wants to look that up uh, it's s then o with a funny sort of uh, tilde on the top r u uh, that o with the tilde is um, difficult to most people including myself it's kind of an er sound um yeah and and like it's it's obvious that a lot of people are are very engaged with the landscape um and that's mostly what you have to do i I think actually what's interesting is that (laughs) um given that we've been driving around um if you feel quite connected to the outside world in the leaf like you certainly although you feel like perfectly secure you're you're not it's got quite there's quite a lot of light and visibility that comes into the the car itself um you get to see a lot and because it's quiet you can hear stuff outside um which definitely i i feel like if we were roaring through this island in a four by four it would feel a bit jolting and a bit disconnected from uh everything that we're going past and and looking at yeah the 4x4 culture in Estonia is very real. Uh, pe- people do like their big American muscle cars as well, but I feel that if we came here in a, in, in a Dodge Charger or something, we just wouldn't feel connected to the surroundings, and also uh, we, I would feel uh, like I was disturbing the peace a little bit. Um, in this, because there is no sound, uh, except for the sound of the wheels, you, you don't feel like you're impinging on anyone's peace, do you really? No, and also, like, I mean, when we were driving this morning, we were on empty roads, like, just completely dead empty roads for for most of the way. We maybe saw, like, one or two cars uh, otherwise, and um, because it's Sunday morning and everyone else was asleep. Uh, and uh, it, it felt quite, like, not that we were creeping around, but certainly that we weren't kind of, like, bothering anyone hmm. or disturbing the wildlife or whatever. Yeah. Um, it is to the point that just now a really tiny bird just refused to get out of the way of the leaf. <laughs> uh, we, we are next to um, a re- really stuffed berry tree, which presumably the bird uses as its own source of food most, most of the summer, I guess. Um, but, but yeah, um, this, is, uh, this is a big wetland area and um, there's... Uh, plenty of resources and plenty of food for all the animals here uh i guess climate change will kill everything eventually unfortunately but uh are, are evs kind of a kind of a plaster on the situation or um if we uh took evs instead of ices tomorrow would would that would that at least put the climate emergency off by another 10 years uh it would make a significant difference if we had a magic wand to wave um we don't um replacing that many chassis so if you if you could just wave a wand and convert every existing car into a a battery electric vehicle um then yes uh realistically um we do need to reduce the number of cars on the road um really quite dramatically we need to reduce the amount of movement that people are undertaking in that respect we need to reduce things like flying hands in the air i do it way 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 too much um so I'm aware that, that coming from me, that's hypocritical. And, and you and you do it to promote something which is supposed to help the planet anyway. So in a sense, you're yeah. I don't you're, think you're... that I don't think that offsets it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but if but if you weren't going there and talking about it, less people would know about it. Uh, well, I can come up with all kinds of justifications to help me sleep at night. But the the fact is that 
you know, flying is, is extremely ne- negative to the environment. Mm. Um, there's all kinds of other things that we need to adapt to make a really meaningful um, change to global warming from logistic supply lines across the world um, to things like the way the makeup of our overall diet. Um, it's not the case that ev- absolutely everybody in the world needs to go vegan um, and some some plant-based foods are actually much much worse than uh, just like, I don't know, eating some chicken. Um, I am vegan myself, uh, but uh, sort of, um, I'm not, I'm not going to judge anyone else who isn't. Um, But um, I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's huge amounts of change that needs to take place and simply replacing every single vehicle with an EV won't do it. Um, especially because overall we need to stop having so many vehicles running Um, but it would make a really big difference like people really underestimate how impactful things like the petrol industry is so if the if you cut off the demand for petroleum um, as it is supplied by the car and by the use of um, automotive by the consumption of petrol in automotive use context um, then that would make a huge difference because you're not people tend to look at oh my god how much carbon was generated by the power station that made the electricity that goes into the EV well especially in Europe actually not very much um, partly because fossil fuel generated power in Europe tends to be from gas uh, where it exists which is greener than coal uh, it's obviously not green but there are also a lot of um, nuclear and green energies um, that are used in Europe uh, some countries like Albania have 100% um, green energy or, or, or non-fossil fuel energy um, and yeah the the amount of that is very small especially when you consider not just the carbon that comes out of a car from running the petrol that's in the tank but the carbon that was generated to get the petrol out of some well in the middle east and into a refinery and then shipped across the world world in all tankers and then eventually delivered to your local petrol station Mm. yeah and and that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions we talked about in 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 a vlog we were doing uh about evs the 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 idea that they are intrinsically as dirty as petrol cars because batteries moved around fossil fuels something yeah i mean it's it is just not true um so i i calculated this a while ago and i i actually got the numbers slightly wrong the first time i did it and had to readjust but even even if i try and bias it towards the petrol car um, which is to take uh, the highest number that I can find for manufacturing an EV, um, a relatively average number for the carbon involved in, in generating a, a petrol car, um, because there there is carbon involved in building a chassis and, and generating the parts and extracting minerals and things, um, then it's about 17.5 tonnes of CO2 for an EV. It's about 12 and a half for a an internal combustion vehicle Hmm. um even if i pretend that all evs are charged in arkansas which was 
the only US state I could find that was almost entirely coal-fired. Um, and even when I applied their figures for CO2 for generating electricity, the EV came ahead of the uh, petrol car uh, by, I think it was like 18 months. It was already that, that five and a half um, thousand uh, or oh, five and a half tons of carbon uh, had already been reclaimed by the EV and then obviously by year two you're you're straight into deficit so it, it is just not true there is a slightly higher cost to um, manufacturing them yes um, batteries need to get greener they we need to work really hard on battery technology battery technology is going to be so unbelievably important to um, winning against global warming not just in electric vehicles but in uh, terms of green energy because a lot of green energy is um, circumstantial so, so solar power for instance charges during the day when it's sunny um, but not during the night mm -hmm. um, and if you can get really good ways of storing that energy so that you can have a steady supply to a grid then that's obviously incredibly important how um, and also solar energy presumably would be a problem in a sun-starved country such as this one no so like is it unusually sunny today uh it's quite sunny uh i i just know that there aren't that many months of this sort of weather yeah i mean I mean, Estonia, I would say, <laughs> certainly, I, I don't know if you can hear it on the audio, but you have plenty of wind. Mm. Um, and you've got tidal and, and offshore options. Um, so I think Estonia would probably uh, have have various other methods. Um, I don't know if hydroelectric is, is something even that, that could be done. Um, but I, I basically don't know enough about Estonia. Uh, but I I need to double check that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, solar is 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 also not the only option. Like obviously, if you are somewhere like Marrakesh, um, oh sorry, Morocco, uh, where just outside Marrakesh, even there's the Sahara, so you can slam solar panels all over a load of that. Then yeah that's that it, solar is going to be great but um as you can probably hear this is i suspect not at all a windy day in huima and it would definitely turn a turbine yeah um i'm i'm really keen to uh just dive a little bit into formula e last season mm -hmm. um i would say from my juncture it was the season where i feel like most people cottoned on to how good the sport could be. Uh, I feel like a lot of uh, people who weren't at all interested in electric motorsports came to it just because of the quality of driver, the quality of team and the quality of racing and you know the fact it ended on a cliffhanger obviously helped as well. Um, and next season we've got even more interest because of the manufacturers that are obviously coming in, Porsche, Mercedes and so on. Uh, but what what about from your because you you were at the coal face you were actually flying to all but one of the races and um you 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 saw what it was like to be at the events um what what's it like to go to a place like marrakesh for formula e and is it really any different to just travelling there with your backpack um are you treated differently as a guest of formula e um for example 
Uh, I've never been a guest of Formula E. Um, well, effectively, anyone with a press pass is there because of the event, aren't they? I suppose so, but I um, uh, I make my own way there, um, and I. So in Marrakesh, I. I mean, it it might be different for other people. For me, I, Marrakesh is just somewhere that I find very easy to fit in. Um, speaking French definitely helps speaking a bit of Arabic definitely helps um, but I, I find I've always found Marrakesh sort of quite ever since I first went there for when Formula E first went there I found it quite easy to sort of just blend um, uh, I really love Morocco and I, I really love Marrakesh it's a it's a complete uh, like riot of a city <laughs> um, and there's sort of perpetual semi-chaos going on um, but uh, like it's a lovely place and the food's amazing and, and oh this everything. is on brand <laughs> uh, we have uh, two two motorbikers uh, coming over uh, on what look what looks like a sort of uh, Suzuki cruiser or something um, yeah clearly this is a popular spot for a, a walk or a drive um, but yeah, so so like going somewhere like Marrakesh at the event, yeah, people do stop me and talk to me um, when I'm walking around paddocks quite a lot. Uh, I I'm quite distinctive, so like if people recognise me off the internet, I mean the blue hair is quite a good. Um, uh, it it definitely helps people find me, um, but like no, people don't treat me differently, like. I don't think people care. I th like the taxi drivers in Marrakesh are kind of interested in a kind of like, oh, what do you do, way? But the taxi drivers in Marrakesh are like properly nosy anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, like, because they're just quite chatty. Um, uh, so yeah, I, um, I definitely a few people came up to me at the track and like ask for selfies or like I had a couple of girls ask what my job was but like that's that's pretty normal I mean that happens in Berlin as well I don't mm. I, I like there's a huge crowd in Marrakesh like people are really hyped for it um there wasn't in the first year and I was a little bit worried about it but the, sec the second and third there's been absolutely masses of people it's been rammed um, and some of probably the most like hype crowd I've seen at Formula E events. Um, so yeah, people are. I, <laughs> I think actually in Marrakesh, which doesn't have that much other motorsport, it doesn't necessarily get that much other stuff like this. Um, people, you don't need to sell people on why they should be excited about it. Whereas I think actually in some of the cities where it's like oh it's in the way or whatever, <laughs> um, then yeah, or people are a bit uh there's quite a lot of um like urbanite disdain for motorsport as a like boy racer um spectacle um in some places so yeah yeah i'd, I'd say it's probably harder to sell it to like i don't know rome than <laughs> and although that sells out in about three minutes about every year yeah and is that the reason why they're not going back to switzerland next season um no, uh, I think Switzerland, uh, it was super important to have a Swiss race, uh, Zurich really worked uh, and was really exciting, 
Ben was a compromise because um, the Zurich race crashed, uh, clashed with uh, Pride. I think we should have just combined the events, but I understand that it was mm. on the parade route and like, I very, very much do not want to be like, hey, let me smack my heteronormative sort of uh, um, a race series in the middle of your Pride parade. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Bern was a compromise. Um, there was some local opposition to it, but I think it was actually like massively overstated. Just to jump in on the whole heteronormative thing, I think uh, as we have discussed this weekend, all sport is intrinsically a bit, a little bit centre right in, uh, or if not right wing in its politics. And you know, Formula E kind of takes it a bit further to the left because it's electric and because because of the sorts of people who follow it, but. Uh, Still, Formula E is motorsport, so it is intrinsically conservative a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, Formula E... Uh, Formula E operates in the world of motorsport, and the world of motorsport is... Yeah, it's it's to do with big brands and it's to do with lots of things and international negotiations and and there's a lot of that that yeah you can't like just run round you have to do you you can't just run round with your middle fingers up the entire time um, but if if Formula E gets an opportunity it certainly does right uh, um, and also I mean. Motorsport Twitter is, uh, I think uh, it's 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 got some of the more analytical people on it in terms of looking at the long term of things and what they mean. And I've noticed a lot of discussion around sport in general about um, gender identity, about um, uh, sexual identity, that kind of thing. Um, and um, I I wonder it's it's like formula e's between these two different poles so on the one hand yeah motorsport is considered heteronormative conservative all that kind of stuff but they're the people who consider formula e to be a bit feminine um so should should formula e fundamentally be trying to pretend that it's not feminine or um um or you know come across as being more masculine or should it just say actually we're not trying to attract the sort of people who would doubt it in the first place our fans are different uh well i think it's certainly gone for the third option i wouldn't be against all of the cars being sprayed glittery pink um i i don't think there's anything that isn't that's inherently i uh, yeah i think it's I mean, obviously, I think that femininity in motorsport is is something that's completely compatible. Hmm. Um, you know, rarely found without a ball gown on in the pit lane. Um, but I think I think you have to go for the third option because that's the inclusive one. And if people want to, then change their minds and, and get involved in it, then they can. Hmm. But I don't. I don't think you can sort of. You could never have built an electric racing series going like, please lovers, hmm. people who just want to say the word V12 ten times in any sentence about most sport. Yeah. Um, like, you can't... I don't know. I don't know. Like, 
I have lots of criticisms of Formula E and one, one of them is that it doesn't go far enough on this um, uh, I'm certainly not like uncritical of Formula E I, I, I really love it but like I always say you know think it does dumb things um, quite often um, and and there are moments that I'm really disappointed by it um, especially in terms of inclusion but uh, I think I think you can't you you can't be a challenger brand by sucking uh, at whatever table wants you to beg for their approval. Yeah, um, I'll edit that bit out. Don't worry. Sorry. No, it's <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, uh, there's there's a profanity button for a reason. I could leave it in, but you know. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Also, um, obviously, yeah, we've we've talked we've talked a bit about Adiria. We've talked about how mm. Saudi is not like people think it is, but in some ways it is. Uh, I'd love to I'd love to um, educate the audience a bit about what you've been telling me already. So it's not a party city, obviously, but it's not completely locked down like some people would have you believe, is it? Um, I mean, no. So I I have not spent huge amounts of time in Riyadh. Um, uh, I was I was lucky enough in my time there to make friends with some Saudis. Um, and because I make my own way to races, I, I think I had a probably actually quite normal experience. I certainly wasn't being escorted by Formula E or, or followed around by secret police or whatever. Um, or if they were, then they would have been very bored uh, watching a woman eat flaffle. Um, uh, and also very subtle because uh, the bit of a diria I was staying in was just like a random I, I just got an apartment um, that was sort of semi near the track uh, it's I mean it's not normal in the sense that uh, like Saudi Arabia is a very different country to say the UK um, but so is the US like uh, they're both different and you have to think about different cultural norms and, and different customs and different like social mores in both places um, so, so what customs for example would um, would well let's start with a man but also a woman what would they have to respect is it a case of always wear long sleeves always wear long trousers um, um, is, is there more to it than that so for you yeah long sleeves long trousers the, and the modesty laws do go both ways um, uh, yeah no t-shirts you, you've got to be covered like neck to ankle um, uh, top button have to be done up Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yes, a driver at uh, the showcase in Riyadh last September got told off for that. Um, uh, but yeah, so like you would have to do that. You would have to remember not to um, uh, like holding hands in public is not acceptable. Um, if you were even with somebody you were married to. Um, there's, you know, you you there is 
separate eating. There's there's lots of different things. I don't want to pretend that I like turned up in Saudi Arabia and was like, wow, this is exactly like home. Yeah. Because um, it's not. Um, and like as a woman, I had to wear an abaya and a hijab. Um, I think in theory I could have got away without the hijab, um, but I I don't look uh, as Western as I suspect the people who get away without. And and also I've got like slightly alarming hair, so. Uh, it seems more respectful um uh, you know but those are all things that especially if you're visiting like for me that was something that happened for five days Hmm. do i have any dog in a fight about what where that should stand legally or anything about Hmm. the cultural norms of it no Uh, like if you want to know about that listen to saudi arabian women um but but as as a because sna- for me it's just a costume I wear for a bit. But as uh, I I think we can all only provide snapshots of what we know about places. That that counts for counts for me as a sort of a tenant in Estonia rather than someone who is actually actually a citizen here as well. Um, someone who lived here would be able to tell a lot more about the cultural heritage and why people do things that way. But uh, I just try and observe and learn what I can. I think that's all we can do, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, and and like so, I I was the person who challenged Alejandro about the race um or the first person uh, in a press conference immediately after it was announced i was really angry and i was really angry at formula e uh because i felt that they had put on an event in a country where i couldn't work um i literally couldn't work and i was gonna try and um and i was gonna have to try and do it or exclude myself from my job um and i <laughs> i uh in somewhere in the process of like shouting at Alejandro a few times said that he was going to have to sign my guardianship papers um I don't know if he legally could but still uh well he is electro daddy for everyone well exactly um and I I, like I was very scandalized by the situation I was I was livid on my own behalf I also uh had a had what I think is quite a common um, and uh, uncompassionate view towards normal people in Saudi Arabia mm. uh, to my horror uh, I realised because um, I kind of hadn't thought about be- partly because this is the way it's talked about I, c- I just hadn't thought about the fact that people actually want a race there people want to go and see things um, and like Saudis really like motorsport and Formula E turning up uh, Formula E didn't go like WWE and only take male wrestlers and whatever. Formula E um, insisted it was a mixed-sex event. There were all these Western concerts, uh, which were the first in Saudi Arabia. Um, it's not like it tore down the Berlin Wall in the process or something. Um, but it was a collaborative event that functioned like a normal e um, and and that brought brought it to Saudi Arabia. Should Formula E be in Saudi Arabia, the home of oil? Yes, probably. That's exactly where you should be. Hmm. Like, if 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 the mission is to confront this, then yes, we have to jump through the hoops and do whatever difficult things scare us in order to do that kind of thing. Yes. Otherwise, I mean, it's no use like bimbling around Paris every weekend and being like, yeah. oh, look at this. They've got loads of like little smart EVs I've always felt the problem with uh, the sports washing question is that 
people who don't want any form of sports washing uh, from um, states that don't have elections every every four or five years. Um, they assume that we should be in places that don't sports wash, which means being in a very tiny echo chamber of, of a few countries that we agree with liberally, you know? Well, also, like, what's sports washing? Like, where where do you draw the line about sports washing? Is Formula One going to Aston sports washing? Well, technically, uh, going to the London Excel Centre in post-Brexit Britain is sports washing, isn't it? Well, I don't know. Um... Because Britain's got to prove it's uh, quote-unquote open for business in a year's time, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, who knows? By then that might be the only race I can get to, but because um, it's about a mile from my house. Uh, but I think... I think when we talk about sports washing and who is legitimately allowed to have these events, well, like... Local government is involved in nearly every big sporting event. Mm. Um, and, like, I don't... It's not that I think there is no problem whatsoever with some events that take place. You know, look at the World Cup. Um, but I think if you rule out sport as a mass participation thing that um, can be a way of promoting understanding, can be a way of uh, showcasing um, very different things, can be something that inspires hope and that, that does something exciting for people and that is fundamentally like if if the Riyadh Epre was a closed doors event with twelve VIPs in attendance, no. But it's it's not, um, and like I don't know. I I I surprised myself by coming round on it. I I really didn't expect to, um, but uh, I think actually my initial opposition was mostly selfish and a lot of it was really quite ignorant um, and naively ignorant of me yeah and I, I I have noticed the same naive ignorance from a lot of people who come to Estonia without reading up about it um, I, I know that you are someone who reads up about every country you come to and is genuinely interested but there's a lot of people who assume they all speak Russian here, for example. You know, it's a, it's, it's a simple mistake to not make, but uh, pe people do generally go to countries under-informed. Uh, I think that's just a fact, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, uh, to be honest, I don't think anyone tunes into Formula One every weekend and has, like, a, an internal discussion about what the politics of, for instance, Hungary right now are. Hmm. Hungary <laughs> has some, some pretty right-wing things going on at the moment. Um, but I don't think that um, I think there is an exoticization of the countries that we will well God knows the Hungarian Grand Prix was behind the Iron Curtain uh, when it started yeah like you know there's, there's a, there is a history of controversial uh, sporting placements um, and but also the 
people from the Soviet Union who got to go and see a Grand Prix in Hungary were pretty hype. Hmm. Yeah, and um, but uh, yeah, so really, really good to, to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, so the rest of the day is going to be spent. Um, I've just found that a really nice restaurant that I've wanted to go to for ages is open today so I'm going to give them a call yes. in a moment yes <laughs> and we and we can hopefully do some food criticism which would be awesome um I I used to love writing restaurant reviews for my previous blog and uh well it's um it's it's kind of nice it might actually give me some more material but for me this weekend's been a content gold mine um and uh i've got loads of articles and vlogs and blogs that i'm thinking of getting out of it but uh what are you thinking about doing off the back of this uh, few days oh god <laughs> um <laughs> uh i will probably do um a, a travel piece about this um and um yeah no i i i will do a travel piece um about this is it's a quirky thing to do and i think i might like uh, honestly start doing a few more of these i I want to go to tirana and and go through albania in an ev um i would love to go to albania apparently they've got the number one charging infrastructure in europe or something yeah it's pretty good um uh albania uh has incredibly high adoption rate of evs Hmm. Uh, even though you know obviously it's country with recent troubled past um uh and not the world's biggest economy um they uh they have they have green energy mm-hmm. uh, or no car- non-carbon energy um and uh they're converting a lot of evs they're buying in a lot of evs all of the tirana police cars are electric vehicles for instance um uh and yeah it's it it's a country that's very much on the forefront of this i think albania would be like stepping into a different world in some ways because uh, uh, people have described it like estonia in 1992 just after they became independent uh, i think that it would be fascinating um yeah people have said you've got to kind of behave in a more sort of circumspect way sometimes look after your stuff a lot more in in big cities in tirana perhaps but um people are really friendly everyone says uh, yeah, and uh, you you could eat the shivapi. What is that? Uh, it's like spiced lamb that's in a... Mm, I've forgotten what the bread's called. Oh, um, right. Uh, like uh, pita bread, lava bread. Uh, yeah, kind of. Kind of it's, it's not quite like that, but yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, and then you have it with like onions and, and sometimes sour cream or... Uh, um, murderous quantities of black pepper. Um <laughs> That, that sounds like a fusion of uh, steps cooking and uh, East European cooking. Like so, sort of Central Asian type cuisine, no? Uh, I think it's it's definitely, it's, it's, a, it's the bit where the Mediterranean starts having like really quite substantial Middle Eastern influence. Um, but yeah, I mean, Albania, um, yeah, Albania is a, a, an interesting country. Um, I've always felt perfectly safe there, but my and really enjoyed it. Uh, but my, I'm not normal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't. I, I don't know. I I think it's a really beautiful place and 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 very exciting. I I don't think any British bloke who chooses to spend eight years in Estonia without. Uh, really knowing much about anything when he came here is necessarily normal either so uh, 
um, it's but it's it's been been really been really good to have you here and um, yeah so um, always, always good to have a friend in Estonia but um, even, even more when they actually come out and you know see see the outlands with me so thank you for coming that's all right thank you for, for having me here awesome so um, thanks for listening to the eTalking podcast and uh, you can get uh, Hopefully yet more about road cars is coming up. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, um, it is not essential, but um, we'd be very happy if you do. Uh, it helps to cover the costs on various things that we want to do. It helps me to conduct more of these kinds of uh, road tests and to then, you know, hopefully bring you some quality content off the back of it. And maybe in the future go to a few more races too. So... The address is patreon.com forward slash e-motion. So thanks again, Hazel. And uh, that's the e-talking podcast for, for this time. Thank you.